Howdy folks, this is the old horror hound Ronald Kelly inviting you to head on over and visit my new online bookstore, RK Horror. There you'll find everything that's southern fried and horrified. Books like Fear, Undertaker's Moon, Blood Kin, and The Saga of Dead Eye. Story collections like The Essential Six Stuff, After the Burn, The Halloween Store, and Season's Creepings as well as artwork and apparel. And remember, every book you buy comes with a personalized inscription and hand-drawn RK artwork on the title page, free of charge. So if you have a hankering for some spine-tingling horror south of the Mason-Dixon line, just go to rkhorror.bigcartel.com. Thank you, and many happy nightmares, y'all. Hey horror fiends, it's Tim Levin here from the UK. I'm delighted to be an author guest at Horror on Main. Really hope you can join us there. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be scary. There's going to be lots of books for sale. Oh, it's going to be glorious. So I hope, really hope to see you there. I'm looking forward to it so much. Be scary. Keep reading. Be safe. Horror on Main, a new weekend convention for the horror community. We've been going to conventions for over 20 years and are changing up the little things to make the big picture amazing. Join us Memorial Day weekend 2023 in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Come to the block party and meet your new neighbors. See HorrorOnMain.com for details. I'm David Demchuk, the author of the experimental queer horror novel Red X. Many readers think queer horror is just for queer people. I'm here to tell you it's not. We have the same dreams, we have the same fears. Red X tells the story of gay men who are being taken from their friends and family by an ageless supernatural being. But it's also my story, and the story of friends that I have lost over the decades. Join me in Red X as we explore my darkest fears together. Red X is published by Strangelight, an imprint of Penguin Random House, and is available at fine bookstores everywhere. Welcome to Deadhead Space. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough. Joined, not always, I almost said always. Uh, today, we are unfortunately not going to be with Brennan. He'll be back next week. Uh, we have Erica Robbins. Say hello, Erica. Hello. And we're joined uh, by returning guest host, Candace Nola. Say hello, Candace. Hello, Candace. <laughs> and today, we're joined by the lovely author of The Drift, and uh, that's out now, um, not now of the recording date, now of the release date of this episode, CJ Tudor. Say hello, CJ. Hello! And for video, oh, wrong one. It's a mirror. It's the opposite. So yeah, <laughs> we got you right there. And I can say, I can say. Victor Laval, next week's guest on that side. Um, Excellent. Let's just dive into it. What got you into horror? Um, I think like a lot of people, a, definitely a lot of people, I probably started reading horror. Um, I was about 11, 12, um, and, and probably Stephen King and James Herbert. I mean, this was the 80s. So horror was like really big in the 80s. You know, it was it was such a thing. It was everywhere. And so, yeah, I, I remember picking up like Christine from the library 
and kind of going, yeah, I mean, this is this is what I want to read. This is what I want to write. And I read all the James Herbert stuff and Clive Barker and Dean Koontz. But I mean, even before then, I like I was, you know, even when I was younger, I was really into like, like ghost stories and creepy stories. I think most kids are quite macabre, aren't they? And I was really into reading sort of, you know, that kind of creepy stuff. And like I used to get like the Hamlin book of horror and Hamlin book of true ghost stories, you know, those big anthologies and things you used to get. Even though I used to get terrible nightmares. But I used to really like reading creepy dark stuff. But, I, but you know, if you ask me why, I probably couldn't even tell you now. I, it just really appealed to me, um, even though it used to scare the hell out of me. I just, but I, there was something about it I kept going back to. But it's really weird. My daughter now, she's nine and a half, and she's the same. She's just really into like stuff that scares her. I don't know. Maybe it's that forbidden thing with children, isn't it? You you you're drawn to the things that scare you that you shouldn't watch and you shouldn't see. Sure. So, yeah. And uh, I just got one more question pertaining to that, and then Candice or Erica jump in. Um, so, have you noticed anything from the time when you were a kid to now? with seeing through your daughter's eyes, are you noticing cultural differences in how stories are told? Or I can imagine now it's kind of integrated, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I've never been to your side of the uh, pond before. Mm. Is there, is there any cultural differences that's really, that sticks out to you? And it doesn't even have to be through prose. Maybe it's oral storytelling or some other form I'm not even thinking of. I don't know. I think, you know, it's some scares and fears are universal. It's interesting because when I was growing up, I'd say horror was really big in the 80s. So you had, coming from the 70s, you had big films like Halloween and so on. And, and then it was Stephen King. And it was it was a really big genre in movies and books. And you had a lot of classic horror films around at that time. Um, and then it kind of fell out of fashion, I think, for a while. It became a little bit of a, I think in publishing, I like a little bit of a dirty word. It wasn't as... as fashionable anymore um but i think there's been a real resurgence um i think you know certainly for like kids and younger younger people she says something really old because i'm 51 now like things like stranger things um has like opened up to like kind of a whole new generation but i think movies and tv and stuff were a little bit ahead of publishing because i think horror has continued to be popular in films it never really went away and I don't say about cultural differences. I think people like the same kind of scares, but I think we're much more savvy about it now. I don't think you get away so much with the, unless you're being quite self-aware about it, with the, you know, the the young woman in hot pants running, you know, running away into the dark woods and everyone going, no, don't do that. Don't open the door. We, I think horror has become more intellectual in a way. I think we we are much more sort of aware of, of the things that, that we're expecting some of the scares. So I think when you're writing horror and, 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 and horror in films has become more sophisticated in many ways. You know, we, we, we still we still get off. We still get scared by the same things. But I think filmmakers and I think writers um, are more self-aware about horror. I think that's a cultural change as well. Um, but I think you know, a, a lot of the basics are still there. I find it interesting watching the stuff that, you know, my daughter who's nine and a half is slowly getting into because some of it is very similar to me. Like she loved things like the Adams Family, which I used to watch as a kid, which is that kind of like slightly creepy, dark, macabre, but funny with it kind of stuff. Um, and, and then sort of easing her way into sort of other things now. She's now saying to me stuff that she watches is like, oh, someone said this was scary, but it's really not. It's not scary. And I'm like, okay, we need to move you to the next level now then. 
you know? That's great. Uh, Candace. Yes, sir. Or Erica. Well, Erica. Oh, no. We don't have Brennan on today. When Pat does that, Brennan's usually like, no, pick one. Okay, I'll do it. I'll go. I'll go. Look, I don't want to hog the air, but if you guys want to. I just don't want to cut anyone off, but I have questions prepared. So, Listen, yeah. unless it's the guest, you can cut me or Brian off. Not Erica, though. It's not nice. She's too sweet. Um. Okay. <laughs> well, Eric and I are both going to cut you off from time to time. So do it. You should. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, CJ. Yes. So, since we're talking about how you got your start. Let's start with some of those questions there. So ad- in order to advance that a little bit, who do you think was the most influential um, most influential author that you read that really made a light bulb just sort of click and you were like, this is what I want to write like, or this is really what I want to do. Was there any one or just like the whole blend of the mix? I had about three stages, I think, with writing. Like when I was a young kid, I used to read a lot of ghost stories and stuff. But then I think also, I mean, I was quite a precocious reader. So eight or nine, I was like reading Agatha Christie, Mm -hmm. which got me into mysteries and plotting, I think. And then I think about 11, 12, I discovered Stephen King, as a lot of authors do, you know, mm. um, which was a huge influence. And at the same time, I used to read a, a lot of James Herbert, too. Um, so those were two huge influences in my teens. Yeah. Um, interestingly, I then really got into an author called Michael Marshall Smith, okay. um, who's I think he was called less horror. I think probably started off more being slightly more sort of sci fi. But has written a lot of kind of genre mashup stuff. But he was a really huge influence as well because I loved his style of mashing up genres, you know, and, and mixing in a lot of, putting a lot of things into the mix. And also I, I loved his kind of like way of, he has a great way of writing which talks a lot about human emotions um, within his, his context of really dark, mashed up sort of, of, of science horror, thriller, mystery, slightly sci-fi. Um, I think he's a great writer with a lot of dark humour too. So he was also a huge influence. Um, so I think there were sort of like three stages of influence really with my writing. Every one of those sort of authors, I remember reading and thinking, wow, I really love what they're doing here. I love their writing and I want to do something like this. Um, but like I think a lot of writers, it takes you a while to kind of find your own voice a bit. I mean, my first book, The Chalk Man, was was really my homage to Stephen King and also all the stuff I grew up loving in the 80s like everything about 80s horror and and 80s kind of culture and all that stuff Um, and it was just just you know I wanted to kind of write that kind of thing but kind of set in the UK and Mm -hmm. and that kind of the chalk line for me was all about in a way Um, putting all those influences that I had into one book but I think most authors, you know, you, you have someone who's kind of, you have lots of writing heroes in a way. And you have different writers that inspire you, I think, at different times of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, you read different things at different times and it all goes into the mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. I could definitely see Agatha Christie in the drift for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like probably the most yeah, really weird, messed up way. <laughs> like I, 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 I felt that even when... Um, 
before we even talk to you. Like, yeah, it's definitely definitely noticeable there. Well, we'll talk about the drift soon. But Eric, is there anything that you want to talk about um, with uh, what Candice was just bringing up, or is there any new question that you want to ask? Yeah, I think kind of related. Did I unmute myself? Yes. Okay, good. Um, kind of related to what Candice was talking about. You've got like quite the selection of books that you've written so far. I was going to try to show them for the video listeners, but I'm probably going to drop them. But <laughs> a lovely stack of your books. Um, Erica, can you hold that up one more time? I'll get a screenshot of that. Hey, Sorry, I'm, my computer's not as fast as... Uh, it's still not loading. Okay, I'll just tell you when. I'll just awkwardly hold them while you're... <laughs> It's still loading. There we go. Okay, so Can you three, even see this? no one has to say cheese, but I'm just gonna say three, two, one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Thanks for playing along. Yep, <laughs> that is quite the collection. Yes, and four of them are hard hardcovers. Two are paperback. So <laughs> I'm absolutely obsessed. Um, since I read the Chalk Man, you have been like an auto buy author for me. Every oh, time you have a book coming out. Yeah. Um, so I actually have the Drift pre-ordered from a bookstore, but I got an ARC. So I have two of those. So one will go to a little free library. Excellent. Um, yeah. But my question from all of that was if there's a reader that hasn't read any of your work yet, do you have a book that you would typically recommend that they start with? Oh, crumbs. I mean, I suppose I always say because it's it's kind of the first book the chalk man because it was it's you know it's still really close to my heart it's the you know the first book that was published and I think it it gives a good flavor of what I love in a way um but I'd also say kind of like to people read the drift as well because it's so very different um that they're kind of like two extremes of writing really I think you know I wrote the chalk man you know I, I wanted to kind of like write in a way with all my influences at the top of my mind and get all kind of that out there. And I think as I've gone on, like a lot of writers do, I've kind of like hopefully found my own direction and voice as well. And every book I think is different and hopefully a progression because um, I never wanted to be someone who did the same thing again and again. I don't want to be those authors that, that kind of churns out the same book with kind of different characters essentially, but it's, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, but I think everyone gets to stage as well, don't they, that they want to write something so I'd always say yeah read the chalk maybe read the chalk man then read the drift and then fill in in between which would be quite interesting to do but then also I think even though they're not like a series they're all standalones maybe read them in order because I like I do like reading authors books in order because I find it interesting to see where they go you know where they start and where they sort of you know end up because I think it's quite interesting to do that as well um but I like to hope that each book kind of has my voice but is is different as well if that makes sense because I, I mean I had to have to do sort of as I might say a battle but I know when I first presented the drift to my agent um and certainly my UK editor they were a bit hmm this is a little bit different from your previous books <laughs> in that way that kind of you know editors and and, and agents are they're a bit like people have quite liked these this is a little bit different um but I was really passionate about it. And I think, you know, you always want to do something a bit different. You know, you want to keep sort of pushing in different directions. So it was a, it was a real passion project to write The Drift, really. Um, so, you know, and I'm pleased that, you know, people generally seem to have really enjoyed it and liked it, which is really good as well. Um, unrelated to that, did you say oh crumbs? Because I've never heard that expression before. Well, oh crumbs. Yeah. Oh, is this a UK thing? <laughs> what, 
Okay, I'm slow. What does that mean exactly? Is oh, it like a multi-purpose oh, phrase? Yeah, like kind of like, oh, blimey, or uh, is, is that UK phrase as well? Like if, if, if someone sort of, oh, I can't, I can't think of like a good US equivalent to that really. Um, like, oh, God, I suppose, oh, oh God, oh, you know, blimey or crikey, we might say sometimes. I got gotcha. you. Um, in the UK. Yeah, but, but yeah, crumbs. It's a very British thing, I think, actually. <laughs> I'm just getting some like fairy tale folklorish uh, images in my head when you were saying that, and I, I don't know. I just I just like it. It's fun. I've never. I have British friends. I have never heard them say that. They've used a, lo- a lot of other non-American terms that I I hear from them often. I think but, uh, crumbs and crikey are phrases that you know should be used more. Yeah, happy for that. So let's talk <laughs> about the drift because you're you know it, it's. It's interesting. You're, I want to jump to your afterward where um, just bullet points here. You talk about how when you started writing it and uh, you're probably going to be asses or have been asses a lot, but mm. you wrote about in similar situation with Paul uh, Tremblay with um, oh my goodness, Swan. It's not Swan Song. Uh, yeah. Survivor song. Survivor, Survivor song. song. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Survivor song. Chuck Wendig. How he wrote uh, mm. apocalyptic book before 2020, which was mm. Wanderers. So we've heard from them about what it was like to experience kind of mm. living in your world. Yeah. Um, wherever you want to start, just just take it away with with when you started writing it and what it was like to kind of live through this it's it's really weird because i mean the the original idea for the drift i had back in 2019 um and it, it i mean it, to very briefly sort of summarize it didn't it didn't start from the the idea of kind of like apocalyptic it started from the idea of what would be the sort of tightest locked room mystery i could write and i i was sort of thinking this i think i've had a conversation with someone about it and i thought about the idea that of, of someone being trapped in a cable car suspended thousands of feet in the air um with a group of strangers and a dead body and that seemed like quite a fun thing to do and then that expand you know obviously a fun thing to do you know and then that expanded out into kind of maybe having three scenarios so within the drift we have you know someone stranded in a cable car with a group of strangers and a dead body there's a crashed coach um which another of our protagonists is stuck in with, you know, survivors and, and, and dead bodies and they're stuck and they can't escape. And there's another protagonist who's in this isolated sort of ski chalet um, and the power is failing and again, trapped for different reasons. And, and it starts off this idea of kind of three locked room mysteries that are somehow connected in this kind of isolated snowy location in a snowstorm. But then I started thinking about why would these people be trapped? Why is no rescue coming? What's making their situation unique? What's outside of their situation that is also scary, you know, that makes this, you know, even more terrifying. And I started thinking about a kind of a a sort of a near future kind of sort of post-apocalyptic kind of situation um, where society has kind of crumbled and there's been this viral pandemic. Um, And this was back in, I think, probably about autumn, summer, autumn 2019. I first had the idea and I floated it to my agent. And for various reasons, I was sort of contracted to write another book that I'd already pitched. And and because this one was slightly different, the conversation was, well, maybe put that to one side. It could be the next one along. Um, keep it on the back burner and write this one first. Um, because they're a little bit nervous about it because it was, it was a bit different from previous books. And so I was like, OK, yeah, fine. I don't really want to write this, but um, yeah, OK. And then for, for other reasons, then 
I started writing the other book. And then, of course, 2020 happened and we had COVID and um, and everything kind of went haywire for everybody, you know. Um, and I was writing this book through the pandemic and the book I was writing, I started to really struggle with. Um, and I thought I was ticking along fine, actually, but I was really struggling with the book. I didn't seem to have my mojo. I didn't have, seem to have the voice. Um, and then I lost my dad as well. And it, it became sort of doubly hard. And I think this book that I was writing became kind of wound up with all the horrible stuff we were going through at the time um, and losing my dad and everything else. And, and eventually I, I, I sent the book to my editors and they came back with a lot of notes. And I just went and said, I can't fix this book. I don't like this book. I hate this book. I, I don't want to go back to it. I don't want to publish it. Um, you know, I want to scrap it because it's it's not what I want to write. I'm not happy with it. I don't want to put out something that's subpar. Um, but I really love this other idea, The Drift. Um, and they were very generous and supported me. Um, in the meantime, we put out some sh this short story collection as well, which kind of sort of filled a gap and I wanted to do anyway. <clears throat> but but The Drift I was still passionate about. But then it, it, it became, I suppose, slightly, slightly a risk as well because the backdrop was this viral pandemic, which we'd all just gone through. But at the same point, I think it really helped inform the story because when I had the idea, you know, COVID hadn't happened. Um, and when I came to write the book, it had. And in a way, it was quite cathartic um, to write it as a kind of, I, I say to a lot of people, it's not about that. It's almost like a parallel world where, you know, if, if, if the very darkest things had happened, they happened in the drift. But it also is very much a backdrop to the main story. It's um, kind of a precursor to where our characters find themselves. It explains where they are and why they are. Um, so it isn't so much about the pandemic. It's more about seeing where these people are after this bad stuff has happened um, and how they cope with it afterwards. Um, but it, it was a little bit nerve-wracking to some extent putting it out there because it was like, is it too soon? Do people want to read about anything with this kind of theme in it? But I, I do say to a lot of people, it's not about what happened kind of in reality. A lot of my books exist in a kind of parallel reality. And this is a kind of a parallel reality, maybe examining where stuff could have gone in a way. But it, it's, it's hopefully maybe set far enough away from that that you can read it without feeling it's too close to home. But it is informed by some of the things that happened. And I think if, if, you know, COVID hadn't happened and we hadn't had that pandemic, I wouldn't have examined some of the issues that I do within the book. Um, so it does inform it, obviously. It's, it's always a tricky one, I think, because, you know, you, you do think do people want to read anything that, you know, if, you know, they never want to read about anything to do with viruses or, or pandemics ever again. But at the same point, it, um, it does sort of give a starting off point to talk about a lot of stuff, I think, as well, within fiction. Sure. Um, yeah, just heads up, I'm going to go to you and then Erica. I um I heard a lot of that in the beginning of the pandemic that there isn't going to be a you know any interest in or the fair there isn't going to be interest in um related stories related fiction stories mm -hmm. but I you know I, I don't know I just kind of look at kind of throughout history I, I love history and you know you think of the darkest times and that's when the craziest art or inspirations come out and yeah a lot of times it's it's the reflection like think about 
you know, the sixties with uh, Vietnam and, and all, mm. all the, um, um, the civil rights movement. And I don't know what was going on in the UK for the most part, but in America with the civil rights movement, the hippie movement, and yeah. uh, a lot of love kick at, like I love rock and roll. And a lot yeah. of music was, you know, the yeah. Brit, my favorite bands, Led Zeppelin, a lot of them, my other, one of my other favorite bands is the who. So I really love bands from your area, <laughs> but yeah. uh, a lot of them were against the war and they would yeah. sing about it. And it was, it's still awesome music today. It's powerful yeah. stuff. But um, my point is, is I never felt that way because I wanted to, I like being in other people's heads and, how am I going to know what other people are thinking if, if, mm. well, if I don't ask, but I'd like to read about it, you know? So that, yeah. that's kind of my two cents there. Um, Candace. <laughs> so my question now actually comes from your co-host. Brennan would like to know um, how hard was it to keep the multiple timeline straight as you wrote it with <laughs> the coach and the retreat and the cable car and yeah so how how hard was that <laughs> that was probably the hardest part actually I wrote them all separately because it's a se it's essentially three separate stories that come together mm. um so I wrote them as three separate stories because that seemed the easiest thing to do because then each one has its own story arc it has its beginning it has its middle it has its end which means right. that, you know, each story maintains tension and interest because you, you, you invest in it as a story on its own. And then I knitted all the chapters together, um, which, which then was the hardest part, probably, because, again, then each chapter must flow to the next and the timelines have to work together. And there's lots of little details that all have mm -hmm. to add up. So there was a lot of a lot of editing. So that was that was tricky. But I knew when I, I first had the idea that it was going to be in many ways, an absolute nightmare to write and knit together. But then that was a challenge. Um, there was a lot of things about the book that were challenging, but that's what made it interesting. I mean, you know, some of the main reveals and twists, again, I knew would be really... It's one of those things where I, I remember saying to myself, I think, it, you know, there's lots of challenges with this book, but I think it'd be so much fun if I, if, if I can pull it off. I think a lot yeah. of writers look for that kind of challenge to write a book that's you know that that, that does you know present problems and it, it's difficult and it's intricate and and I loved that about it we did have three proofreaders go <laughs> go through it because I was like you know I didn't want there to be any plot holes um and that was my biggest nightmare and there were so many little details that had to to keep to tie up because it, it does feel like essentially we're writing three novellas that all had their own intricacies and and plot things that had to work and then they all had to work together as well um, so it was brain exploding time a lot of it but it was yeah. a lot of fun because I really enjoy that part of writing you know right. I, I love the characterization I love creating the characters but I do love the kind of the jigsaw puzzle aspect of a thriller and a mystery of okay. of you know of putting it all together and making it hang together so the immensely satisfying I think about hopefully making it all hang together and come to a satisfying conclusion um because there's something immensely satisfying as a reader when you read a thriller or a mystery or a horror book and, and you, you you see all the the, the plot threads and, and the story come together and, you know, you hopefully have that moment when you go, oh, God. And, and I love that as a reader. 
Um, so, you know, that's what I kind of hope to deliver as a writer as well. You know, mm. you know, lots of other moments along the way. I don't think I don't think a book should ever be geared towards one big moment. Sometimes there should be lots of of moments where you're like, oh, or, ah, or or tense or sad or, oh, my God, I couldn't believe that. or I, I didn't see that. So there should be mm. lots of you know those those moments throughout a book, really. Mm. So I have one more to go along with that since you briefly touched on it. So which one of the timelines was your personal favorite to write? If you had the shoes. Each was my favorite when I wrote it. Um, (laughs) I did love writing Carter's. I actually wrote Carter's timeline first. and which which kind of set the tone for the rest of the book in a way, okay. because I as I knew it was a departure from previous books, I think I got to a certain quite early on. I got to a certain scene in that um, section, um, which was relatively sort of ex- it set the tone. I think mm. I wrote this particular scene and went, okay, so that's where we're going with this book, and we're definitely stepping into more horror here, and yeah. and and this is where we are with it, and that kind of set the tone. I think for the book then I knew exactly where we were going with it so I really enjoyed writing that but I enjoyed writing all of them because they all had their interesting parts Mm. Um, you know I I liked the claustrophobic aspect of um, Hannah and Meg's situation being trapped in the coach trapped Mm. in the cable car the cable car was obviously the initial idea that set it all off as well so I really enjoyed writing that because there's there's a certain challenge in writing something that's so small and tight you've got like five characters there's nowhere for them to go unless it's you know out <laughs> you know <laughs> so you've got it to keep that interest and tension and, and things happening within that makes mm. that quite a challenge because you can't cut to another scene you know you can't you know move away from them we, we you can because you're between different characters when you're writing that as it's it's standalone you've mm. got to keep the interest and the tension going so they were all interesting to write for different reasons that the coach i really enjoyed as, as so i enjoyed all of them um, they, but they all presented, I enjoyed all of them for their different challenges in yeah. a way. Um, and, and they were all sort of great fun to write because each character and each scenario mm-hmm. presented different things as a writer as well. Yeah. So, you know, they were all really enjoyable to write. But as I wrote the Carter section first, and I think um, particularly that I won't sort of give anything away, but there's a scene quite early on though. And, and I, I liked the fact that that made me go, right, I know where I'm going with this book. And from mm-hmm. then on in, I kind of went all holds barred. I wrote it, I think I said to a couple of people, as if I wasn't under contract, as if I had no, as if nobody had any expectations from me. And I deliberately right. wrote it like that, knowing right. that, you know, I, I could then deliver it to my publishers and they might just go, what the hell is this? <laughs> oh, they might love it. Unfortunately, they loved it. So. <laughs> nice. Erica, ma'am. Yeah. So I have so many questions coming <laughs> from that one. Um, <laughs> But I think where I'm going to take it is still related to the drift. Um, you mentioned that it was kind of like Carth. I'm not going to be able to pronounce that word. <laughs> in my head. I know what that with it. <laughs> yes, cathartic. There we go. Thank you. I have to hear it. If I picture how it's spelled in my head, I panic and I'm like, I can't do it. Um, <laughs> but you mentioned that about the drift. And when I was reading Meg's timeline, I was just sitting there like thinking of you writing that as a mother did you have a yes. hard time with that like did you have yeah. to keep yourself from spiral spiral oh my goodness spiraling <laughs> too much into the darkness or was that also yeah. kind of therapeutic for you that was it was really personal um 
yeah, that was, yeah, because I think you put yourself in her position and it's quite dark, isn't it? Because I've often, I have said, you know, it's, I have a daughter who's nine and a half and she's our only child. Um, and, you know, she is my absolute world. And, you know, should something happen to her, you know, the, the, the darkest thing is you sometimes think, well, I, I'm not sure I'd want to, you know, I love my husband dearly, but I'm not sure I would want to, you know, it'd be really hard to carry on, particularly if you have no other children, I think, because suddenly you're, you're not a parent anymore. I, what, what are you? There's that question: What, what are you if you, if you, you know, you have a child and you lose your child and they're your only child? And it's, it's a horrific thing to think about. It is, it is my greatest fear, I suppose. But for any parent, losing a child is your greatest fear. And I'm not trying to say it's, it's worse if they're an only child, but I think it would make it, it makes it harder to continue. I, and I have a friend um, who tragically, you know, did lose um, a daughter, um, and she has three other children. And she said, quite honestly, you know, when we had once chatted about it, and I said, I think I'd, I'd find it much harder to, to go on because Betty's our only child. And she said, yes, you would. Because she carried on for her other children. So, you know, Meg's situation is that she's lost, you know, her daughter in horrible circumstances and doesn't want to carry on. You know, she basically, her stall is at the start of it that she she wants to die. She's tried to die. She's tried to kill herself. She doesn't want to carry on. There's nothing she wants to live for. She just wants to be with her daughter. Um, and really, she goes into the situation of the book. Um, she's only there because she thinks, you know, she's, she's basically setting herself up to die because she thinks she might as well die this way than any other way. Um, and so she's quite, she's a tough character, but she's kind of uh, this sort of tragic character. And then bizarrely, gradually through the situation she's in, she kind of finds something she in a way wants to live for. But it's it's a strange balance between survival and kind of wanting to die for her. It's 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 a, so she was a very interesting character to write, um, and kind of quite kind of close to my own heart because I constantly kept thinking about how I'd be in that situation, which is you know the, the darkest, most awful situation you would be in. And so I did find a lot of resonance with Meg, and I, and I did love writing her. Um, and I loved I liked writing all of the characters because. Not that I'm saying, you know, you write, I don't really write characters as as, as, as a part of me or, or anything like that. She was perhaps one of the closest. But I think it, it, it allows you to examine different parts of your psyche in, in some in, in different ways. You know, you you you're in a way putting yourselves in 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 their heads and thinking, how would how would I deal with this? And and and, and justifying how they would do certain things as well, uh, which is interesting. But yeah, I, I got I got quite sad about certain bits with Meg, I have to say. But then that's good. I think if, if you make yourself sad while writing stuff sometimes, that's mm -hmm. that's a good thing. It hopefully means it, it's, it's feeling genuine and real. So, so yeah. You must make me cry. <laughs> 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 because, uh, um, like you, I currently only have one child, too. And I love my wife. She's my best friend. But... Um, not comparing one to the other, like you, it's hard to word this. But if I lost my son, ooh, I don't know. It'd be a, it'd be a lot harder to not go back to drinking. Yeah. Without my son, as a, I don't want to say that without my wife. I I'm just gonna leave it without my it's, son. It's, it's, it's so hard. I don't know how to word it's it, CJ. Oh, I, I, it's different. I I I've said to you, you know, what's sort of joking. I said 
you do know I would push you in front of a bus to save Betty, and I hope you do the same to me. I hope my wife would do that to me. That's what that's what they mean. I'm like, and you better say you would do the same, because yeah, it's it's that kind of you know your your child is kind of everything, and it's a different love. It, it's kind of like this raw thing, you know. It's very hard hard to explain, um, mm. and and yeah, you know that they are they are kind of your everything. Um, and it, it's weird you don't realise that until you you have a, a child. So that's why I think you know Meg was was, and also I'm 51 as well. You know, you know, there's I, I will never have another child. You know, and it's not like you would replace a child even, but it's that you know they're they're so precious. Um, so yeah, there's that there's that that terror when everyone says, "What are you most afraid of?" It's like, well, that's the thing I'm most afraid of. Obviously, that's that's why you know, but you know we we live in this i think whenever you love someone so fiercely you know you live in a state of denial don't you, you can't bear to think of the of anything the terrible thing happening and you know the terrible thing does happen and you just you know always hope that the terrible thing never happens to you i guess that's where we live our lives a lot of the time don't we <laughs> absolutely one, one more thing and then erica please jump in um unless i cut you off candace i don't did i cut you off no okay um philip my, my three-year-old he uh he's fast and <laughs> I was chasing him and I thought I was close enough and he just darted left in Walmart and I couldn't find him for a few minutes. Oh the horror, the terror. And all that all that ran oh. through my head was some sick fuck is gonna take my yeah because that's all you see nowadays, you know. And and, and it is you just see you see terror and danger everywhere. It's the point yeah. where you have to kind of live in denial about it. Otherwise you would just never let them you you'd never you'd like keep them in a room just because i can keep them safe here you know? <laughs> but you have to let them yeah know, go out and do that then as she gets older you know my daughter the more i realize that as well you know so you have to kind of go you you know you, you want them to go out and have their independence and and stuff but at the same point you just want to keep them tight and just Absolutely. <laughs> protect them from everything there was this nice couple that they saw my face and they just oh. were like, is he yours? I'm like, yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But my wife and I also watch a lot of true crime and we say, Phil, you're not going outside ever. We, we, yeah. we, <laughs> we obviously, you know, we want him to experience everything, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Um, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and I know Candace has probably experienced that quite a lot because she's got older kids. So uh, I see that look I in know. your eyes. It gets worse as they get older as well, because then you have no control, you know. And mm-hmm. I, and I think what I was like in my sort of late teens, early twenties, and I think, oh my god, oh god, my parents must have just constantly worried. <laughs> um, Erica, please jump in. Yeah, so I that was actually the tail end of my question, but I have another one semi-related to that. Um, obviously, we were just speaking about one of your biggest fears, but. Based on the drift and some of your other story content, I got to ask if being trapped or any type of claustrophobia <laughs> is also a fear of yours. <laughs> but you know what? I am quite claustrophobic. And I'm also really scared of heights. <laughs> so, yeah, the idea of being trapped in a cable car is, is pretty much probably one of my worst nightmares. Um, yeah, but I am quite claustrophobic as well. So the idea of, of being trapped somewhere. Yeah, it's it's kind of terrifying. I'm not I'm not great on on crowds and and also and and people being trapped with people. But I think other people also I think uh, are kind of my worst nightmare in some ways as well. Because I I you know I I am I am sociable, but I also a huge introvert as well. So the idea of being trapped somewhere high and small with people, <laughs> strangers, people, is is kind of yeah kind of a nightmare. 
Um, but that was such yeah, a cool setup, though. It's it's you know it's it just seemed like a fun. Sometimes you know you have these ideas. It just seems like fun. You know that the cable car to me seemed like such a fun idea, but it wasn't sustainable on its own. I don't think for a book, for me, you know there had to be so many other elements, which is why it's spread out into sort of other stuff too. But um, something that you address also is you have uh, extreme temperature. Eventually, you got to do something with your body because you got to pee and poop and eat. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> and on top of that, you got wolves. And it's a far height, like you said. And the thing that you kept going back to, I forget which character said it. You can't, you said it's like a half mile. I'm, I'm making up the, the distance. Um, yeah. But yeah, you, you, what are you supposed to do? You can't like bear grip it. There's no way. It's too cold. It's going to slice your fingers and then you're going to break your legs and the wolves are going to eat you. Have you seen <laughs> Frozen? Not the Disney one. The Adam Green movie Frozen from 2010? No, no. That's oh, what it man. reminded me of. Have you got yeah. to watch it? Oh, yeah. I didn't watch that. That's what it reminded it. me of. And it. thank you for reminding me of that. It's a great movie. Oh, I should watch that. So it's so good. It's very realistic. And uh, if you weren't afraid of cable cars stopping, that movie <laughs> will do it for you. Yeah. 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 Um, but it is, Eric, isn't it? I think in fiction, you always want to put your characters in extreme situations. In some ways, you know, most, most fiction, most crime fiction and mysteries are, are a character being trapped somehow, somewhere, whether sort of literally or metaphorically, you know, you, you're putting them in an extreme situation where they have limited options, which is where, you know, you create your tension, obviously. Isolation. Yeah. I, when I started it. writing, that's that was a big... Uh, that was a big point that was made by a lot of writers. Isolation is huge, yeah. especially in short stories. I know we're not talking about oh, that, yeah. but yeah. Um, I, Erica, do you have more questions or was there more to that? Um, not about the drift, but you mentioned short stories, so we can definitely jump there unless Candace has more drift questions. Uh, not specifically. So. I'm sure we could always go back. I mean, this was an amazing book, so I'm sure we could talk about that for hours anyway. Of Thank course. <laughs> um, but let me hold it up. A sliver of darkness. Such a good, I love that cover. Yeah, I, have I do love that cover as well. Is that, <laughs> before Erica asks, because I, I got to ask this, is um, there a, a, like a UK version and an American version? I, I really don't. I've never asked this to an author. I don't. Is it that there's two different publishers? I really should probably know that answer at this point, but I don't. Um, when there's well, different covers, yeah. I book. mean, you, I I still don't really know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I think I think basically, you know, I, I've always been told it's that you know they're different markets, so different things appeal, and different booksellers want different things depending on where they're going to put the book in their bookstores, um, and. And yeah, that's how we end up with different covers. I mean, you know, I find it really interesting. Um, and I presume there's probably a lot of marketing and research goes into this sort of thing of what appeals to this kind of market in the UK as opposed to this market in the US and where bookshops might put this in the UK as opposed to in the US. And actually, you know, I'm published in quite a few other different countries as well. And it's always quite interesting to see whether they, some tend to use perhaps the UK or the US cover. They often come up with their own covers um, and they, they're often all very different. And it, it's always interesting to see. And I guess it must be based upon obviously what they think or know appeals to the readership in that country. I know with the drift, I was very keen 
that we had some similarity. So the font used is exactly the same um, on both the covers. And they're kind of like, whereas the UK is kind of red and, and black and the, and the US is kind of white and red. And they work really well together. So they've got a similarity. Because we did have one situation with my second book, which is called The Taking of Annie Thorne in the UK. And it had a completely different title in the US. Um, and that was a bit of a problem because a lot of people ended up so sort of saying, oh, I bought, I bought your book, you know, the, the Taking of Annie Thorne, I bought your book, The Hiding Face. And it's exactly the same book as, as this one. I'm like, oh, I know, I know, I know. They're, they're different titles. And it was, it was, yeah, really frustrating. So I've always said, please, can we try and keep the same title? But yeah, the cover thing I find, I, I find interesting. Um, but I love the US one for A Sliver of Darkness. And I really love the UK one as well. They were both, I thought, really cool covers. Um, so, so generally, yeah, it's, it's nice you get two really cool covers. But occasionally you go back and forth a bit. You know, I, when I first was first published, when you're first published, you're very scared to say anything about anything, obviously, because you're just so grateful. So grateful yeah. that someone's publishing yeah. you. <laughs> Um, and people are like, what do you think of this? You're it's amazing. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I think then as you go on, you do realize well, it is my name on the cover and it is my book inside. And, and you, you try to have a little bit more input. Um, but then I also go, well, I know nothing about nothing still, even after sort of six years. And so, you know, I, I am always happy to be told what, you know, people think will work better. But but I do sort of express more of a, I like this or I'm not so keen on this thing sometimes. But it's good to have a little bit of input. And, and you know, sometimes, you know, you, you can be productive or helpful. I don't know. I'm sure probably that people just sit there and go, oh, God, we should go away and shut up. But <laughs> no, please don't. That, that would be bad if guests didn't talk. Um, well, not here, but I think, I think you know, I always worry that my parents say, oh, God, yes, we just, <laughs> just, just do something to make her happy and go away. <laughs> um, real quick, I just want to mention, I think it's really neat. Your first book was for Valentine, and then you, you've been, have you been with Penguin, Penguin Random House for all your books? Yeah, yeah. That okay for and this is I like to throw out little things there for like newer writers or whatnot because we we get quite a few of them. Um, so I know you guys know this, but Penguin Random House is arguably the biggest powerhouse in the world for for um, the writing industry. I mean, their imprints. I don't even know how many they have at this point. How how does because like as a writer myself, I would. I don't know how else to word this besides sounding like a, you know, like a dork, but like how cool is that to have your books published through Ballantine Books and Random House Group? Um, I can it's, imagine it's a good feeling. It's bonkers. And I, <laughs> I, yeah, I it, it is. It, it is such an odd one, isn't it? Because I mean, it took me like most authors. It took me a long, long time to get published. I mean, I, I didn't start to even, you know, trying seriously till my sort of 30s so I was a big non-finisher of books it took me a long while to get around to finishing stuff um and then it took me well over 10 years to to publish the chalkman I was 46 when the chalkman was published so it was a long time um and it was amazing yeah it, it was I, I was almost I pretty much always got to the giving up stage of thinking it would never happen mm. when you know the chalkman sort of struck struck gold for me I guess really and I was very very lucky and people always say well don't say you're lucky you know you, you, you people you know you get people get published or get publishing deals because they're good or they're talented and I actually said no there is a great deal of luck involved because there's there's a huge amount of talented great creative writers who haven't got publishing deals and a publisher once said to me you know it's not to do with lack of talent that people don't get a publishing deal or get an agent you know they said I turn down great books all the time you know 
because perhaps they don't fit our imprint. They don't. I've got another author that's too similar. It's just it's just not the thing that that is going to be successful, or we think is going to be successful at that moment in time. There's a great amount of luck and timing in it, and I feel hugely fortunate that when the you know the chalk man, I got now I got an agent for that when that was submitted. The timing was right, um, and yeah, I still I still pinch myself a lot of the time. It is a weird thing. I'm I'm you know we're, we're so fortunate. We're over in in New York at the moment, um, and I'm going to see you know my US publishers tomorrow and the first time I came over in 2018 to see them and the first time I went to my UK publishers walking into the building was like I can't believe I'm here this is just like so cool but also I'm sure security's going to throw me out any second <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah I just like this you know, child grinning really it's like this is just so cool um, it's an amazing thing and it's it's a huge amount of dreams come true and I never ever ever take it for granted at the same time, when I write, I always try to put it out of my head because I think if you think too much about who you're writing for or whether you're trying to please your publishers or or readers or or anything other than what, you know, concentrating on what you think is a great idea, then I think you are letting yourself down. You've, you've kind of got to write as, without thinking about that. You've got to kind of go, this is a great, I love this idea, I want to write this book. Because otherwise I think you, you might overthink everything and everything you do, you'd be like, what do my publishers want? Or they liked this book. Should I write the same thing again? Or and and then you then you're starting to not write from the heart anymore. And so I, I never kind of want to do that. But at the same point, I'm very very conscious that I would like to keep being published because <laughs> I love writing books and it's amazing. Um, so it's it's a weird it's a weird balance. Um, but it it is amazing. I, I never lose sight of that. And and I always think you know I feel incredibly lucky and privileged to kind of get to do it for a living. Um, it was a long time coming, and I and you know I I love being able to do it. It's amazing. Go ahead, Erica. Oh, okay. Um, going back to your short story collection, um, I was just curious: does writing short stories does that seem harder to you than writing the full length novel, or vice versa? I think it's vice versa. I love short stories. I love reading short stories. They, they, that's why I read first off, I think, when I was a kid. I used to read a lot of short ghost stories and things. Um, and I read a lot of Stephen King. And, of course, he's written a load of short stories. And I love a short story. There's something really satisfying about a great short story. Because, you know, most novels, even my favourite novels, certainly probably my novels, I'm sure, are flawed in a way. Almost, almost every novel is, I think. It's, it's impossible to write... I think a perfect novel because of the the length and everything. I, I don't know, but I think you can write a perfect short story. Some of my favourite stories are like a short stories, like things like the monkey's paw is just such a perfect story. A lot of there's there's an art to creating that perfect like tiny story, and I think it focuses the mind so much because it focuses it, but you can also be more wild in a short story because you haven't got to worry so much about making something span an entire 400 pages or character arcs or subplots or any of that. You can just concentrate on this one story and it can be as outlandish as you like, I think. So there's there's something very satisfying about it. And I've always loved writing short stories. I think, you know, it 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 was a great palette cleanser in a way between sort of working on novels sometimes so some of the ones in the collection I wrote a long time ago and, and a lot of them I wrote specifically for the collection it was about half and half um, and I had a great amount of fun doing all of them um, and yeah and I'd, I'd like to do another one really because I do think you know 
writing short stories. I, I do love doing it, that you just have such a lot of fun with them. Because you can just have this idea, like I said, the cable car idea could have just been a short story. You don't have to worry about expanding it into a novel with all the things that that encompasses. It can just be that, you know, that one crazy idea that you can write. Like at the start of the end of the liner um, about the kind of the, the, the post-apocalyptic cruise. I've got a lot of end of the world stuff on my mind recently. I don't know why. But that was just that came from being on this like uh, like Disney cruise we went on, and and this this idea that how how cool it was. I mean, I thought it was amazing, but my God, how weird! You know, how also there's something quite something quite sinister about constant happiness and and people dressed up in big furry animal costumes. I mean, anyone seen Donny Darko knows how incredibly sinister that can be, and and the idea that that what's again what what could what can be happy 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 can it can be so sinister at the same time. And what if you were trapped there forever? And, and this, that idea became this kind of crazy short story that I absolutely loved writing. So, yeah, I like the fact you can just have these weird ideas and then you can just you can just write them in a short story. And you can't always you can't always do that in a novel, but you can let that the real crazy stuff out in short stories. Where'd you go for the Disney tour? I could have taken well, that in so many directions, but I just want to know. And I ask because my wife and I talked about we saw this one. I think it was to Alaska. Uh, oh wow, that'd be amazing because we're hoping yeah. to go to Alaska. Actually, this one was just actually it was just just after the pandemic, so they, I think they had a lot of the the tour ships kind of like stuck um, in the UK. Mm. So they were doing these like stay at home tours. So they basically never left British waters. They mm. just took the boats out for four days and they just basically went around in circles. But it was great. It was great fun, and we took our daughter on it. Um, and she thought it was amazing because it was Disney, and of course she loves all things Disney. And I'm a sucker for Disney. You know, despite all the dark stuff, I'm an absolute sucker for it. We we went to Florida actually last year, and I fully embraced the whole thing, while maintaining this idea that there's there's definitely something slightly sinister about it all. But you know, but the, but the cruise was 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 brilliant. But That's yeah, fun. amazing. But imagine being stuck there for like ever. No. And ever. Uh-uh. <laughs> you know. We're going. We're going. Uh, me, my wife, and son are going in a couple months, and. I know he's not going to remember it, but we'll have pictures. And How old he, is he? He's three, and we're going to Animal oh, Kingdom. Yes. We've been watching this show on Disney Plus that is, I forget the name of it, but they show behind the scenes of the safari, like all the Animal Kingdom stuff and how they take care of animals and how they oh, really, pretty. yeah, how they really treat them like phenomenally. They know yeah. everything, and that makes it even more exciting to go. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be like, hey, Phil, look, we're going to be going on that. And he's like, animals. <laughs> oh, we, Betty was three and a half. And we took her to we took her the, um, the Disney in Paris, actually, the first time. And you know what? It's kind of not for them in a way. I mean, she loved it at the time. Yeah. We loved seeing her reaction to everything, yeah. you know. And now she can't remember it. She's nine and a half. She doesn't remember sure. it at all. But it, it was kind of for us. But it was still, yeah, just amazing. Because seeing a little face, like, oh, <laughs> Question I like to ask parents that are writers who have kids is uh, how am I going to word this? So I I asked this thinking of selfishly how I kind of am a parent, but um, do you think that as a writer that you're doing a job because that's all I wanted to be growing up. And luckily I had a good support system in my family mm. that they didn't say that's not real. Or whatever but there's a lot of people that have that so especially for those that may hear this mm. um 
how's it feel to be a parent um, showing, not just saying, but showing your little girl, hey, I'm doing what makes me happy and I'm getting paid and people want to read it around the world. Like, how does that feel for you as the mom or, or have you ever even thought of that before? It's weird because she doesn't remember. Betty was about three when I got my publishing deal. So she doesn't remember the time before I was doing this. And before I was doing this was very different. You know, we had money was tight. I was working as a dog walker doing a little bit of script writing and various freelance writing jobs on the side. And, and she doesn't remember sort of that, that part of life. Um, and things were much more difficult then, you know, they, they weren't awful, but money was definitely pretty tight. And, you know, we were juggling a lot more stuff. Um, and now it was, you know, she just remembers mummy being a writer um, and, and life you know, became easier after, after then. Um, but I think she kind of takes it for granted in a way because it's what she just always knows. Mm. Um, but I hope that as she gets older, she'll realise, as you say, that, you know, I get to do something, you know, I love. And, you know, it's enabled us to sort of, you know, do certain things we can do now. And and I hope she, she takes the idea that, you know, we always say to her she can do whatever she wants to. I always would just encourage her to do what she loves. You know, I whether that you know whether that's doing you know i don't care whether she now ends up traveling working in a bar whether she as long as she's doing something that makes her happy i don't want her to be ambitious and chase money if that makes sense because when i was i you know i had so many jobs um you know over the course of the years and i could never settle i never had a a proper career i was always working freelance i never had very much money but i was never somebody who was settled down to a, a career you know, I, I, it, that wasn't me. I always wanted to work for myself. And if that meant that, you know, there was less money and things were a bit tougher on that front sometimes, I always rather had that freedom. Um, yeah, I was not, I'm not good at being a, a corporate sort of person working in a company. It just, it wasn't me. Um, and, and she may be different to that. Who knows? She's really creative and she's really, she's, she, she's really into like tech stuff as well. You know, I think they all are these days, but she's really interested yeah. in how stuff works and all of those type of things and filming stuff and and videos. And at the same point, she's really creative. She loves drama. She loves designing things and drawing and art and stuff. So I hope, you know, she'll go into something that she loves on that front. And we try and encourage her to do whatever she wants to do. It's a weird one because my parents, I loved writing, but they came from quite a traditional background. So they were very much like, once they discouraged me, but I think from my background, the idea that you could be an author and that would be a job you could do for a living wasn't something it was like, well, that's that's nice. That's kind of what like very middle class people who live in London do, you know, who've been to university. <laughs> I left school at 16, whereas it was like, we'll do something to do with writing that can actually be a proper job and earn you some money. And hence, I ended up sort of doing copywriting and that type of thing and and stuff that was to do with writing, but was a job that would pay the bills um you know i think parents you know my parents were very much about security security you just have security and and oh, well that's you know well that's what i want for betty i also kind of would like her to be someone who goes bye mum i'm going off and i'm going to work my way around the world you know <laughs> see ya <laughs> so it's it's a tricky one but I, I hope we sort of encourage her to do you know what she loves mainly what she says to us at the moment is like when she goes off to school it's like why do i have to go to school because you two can stay at home 
And it's like, yeah, but we're working at home, you know. It's, like, <laughs> it's not like we're sat around. Well, I mean, you know, we, we, there's a lot of coffee making and, and, you know, perhaps going on Twitter and stuff. But we are still working. So, yeah, I think that's what she'll grow up with going, you know, my mum and dad, they just they just stayed at home. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, last thing, and then, Erica, I'll throw it back to you, and then Candice. Um, so... Keith Lansdale and Casey Lansdale, Joe Lansdale's kids. Uh, I asked them when they were first on um, what it's like to have, and I'm sure they're asked this a lot, just like Stephen King's kids probably were asked or are asked this a lot, but it's like, what's it like having Joe as your dad? And basically they said they went to a lot of conventions and they're like, that's how we were raised. So yeah, I got a feeling like your daughter's probably going to kind of say the same thing based on what you were just saying. That's what it reminded me of. Like, that's all she knows. It is. It is. And it's, it's like, that's what, that's what sort of mum does. And she's desperately kind of uninterested in it really i think she'd think i was much cooler if i was like a youtuber or something yeah <laughs> these her idols you know it's like youtubers and gamers basically she's very into gaming and things like that um so it is it's, it's just something that's done okay and occasionally she thinks it's, it's it's relatively cool but but most of the she, she's really impressed because one of the books has been made into a tv series so she's interested in that we went to the set a couple of times it's so um, cool so she found that that was sort of quite cool. And the idea that, that might sort of be on television. So that was quite impressive for a bit. She came to the set for a bit and she, she thought some of it was really cool. And then she watched them film the same scene about 15 times from different angles and very rapidly got bored. So, but I think at nine and a half, it's, it's like, I think whatever your parents do, she's getting to that age that, you know, whatever we do now, we're probably really uncool. We were coming <laughs> up with... Coming through immigration, like um, we flew over the other day. Um and we had to go through security. So we're at the and and you know whenever you come through to like JFK, you know security is always quite scary, and they can be quite harsh. Um, That's go, New York. They're yeah, this is it. And and he's over dicks. <laughs> yeah, he's looking at our passports and stuff. And he's quite friendly actually, to be fair. And then he looked at Betty's passport, and he was like going, yeah, yeah, you know, yes, yeah, I can see. You know, you've got your mum's, you know, sort of little mini mini me there. You know, got your nose and chin and stuff. And she just looked at me and she went sad times <laughs> he just like savage and bless him he just cracked up it was like yeah this is the stage where she just thinks anything her parents just desperately uncool you know anything oh to do God. with us is uncool so this has become our thing now anytime everything is just like sad times that's hilarious <laughs> erica take take it away so they're, 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 they're harsh at that age <laughs> yeah i <laughs> I, I realized that I only got another year or two where I'm the funniest person in the world to my son. So <laughs> I'll try to take that for granted. Take comfort from that now. It just it all goes downhill. Oh no. <laughs> Bad times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah my idea of being cool is just out the window. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be back soon. I remember when I hit that age, I was not <laughs> the nicest person, especially to like my brother and my mom. And I heard all the time that I looked like my dad. And I was like, do you not understand? That's not a compliment. Like, <laughs> well, I'm jealous that she looks like you. Cause I wish I looked like my mom a little bit more, but <laughs> here I we are. I can't imagine that you weren't like, I tell Tara all the time. You're literally one of the nicest people I've ever met. I can't imagine you're not nice. Oh, my brother and I hated each other when we were little. <laughs> I shouldn't say hated. Siblings. Like, it was fine. We had our moments. We definitely hung out a lot, but like 
it was the typical sibling where like you're sitting on yeah. different ends of the couch and if you get too far into that middle cushion it's a kicking fight and someone's <laughs> getting booted and yeah siblings are fun <laughs> um I do have one other question for you and then I think that sums up the questions on my end but you've noted that all of your books take place in the same universe and mm. I know there's one character and i I don't know if I should share her name because if people haven't put that together, I don't want to spoil it. But there's one character that has made a couple of appearances in different books. So because your books are all in the same universe, do you put Easter eggs in that readers maybe mm. haven't caught on? You do. Yeah, yeah definitely. There are, if, if you read them all, particularly if you read them in sequence, there are definitely references in, in all of the books. Even the drift, there's a, there's a little reference in there um, at one point. So they they do in my head kind of all exist in the same universe because I think it's it's quite fun then that you could potentially bring in other characters um, later down the line and stuff and there is a character that makes an appearance as well in in, a, in sort of in, in a couple of books and I think it's quite nice to kind of have this idea that there's this this sort of other universe that they don't sort of they're not going kind to of be in our universe or like an alternate alternate universe where these characters all exist um, and it's interesting because even though they're all very different. There, there is the little. There's even something in the drift. Even though, like someone said, is this the same as the other books? It's very different. I said, well, yeah, but it's slightly in the future, so it, it, it could, yeah, definitely potentially be in the same universe. Um, and then I'm writing another book now. Now that's interesting because the book I'm writing at the moment is probably the only one that I would say perhaps does not exist in the same universe as the other books. It's slightly different. Um, and I don't think it could exist in the same universe as the other books. So it's the first one that's definitely apart from that other universe, which again is fine, I think, as well, because you can't, you can't, I think, you've always got to give yourself the freedom to do something different. So all the other ones definitely, I think, are kind of in the same universe, but the new one is definitely an, an outlier. Outlier? Outlier? I never know which way around you say that as a writer. It's I've outlier. heard outlier, but I've. Uh, is it outlier? I, I always say things wrong. I'm ter terrible for it. I, as a writer, I'm incredibly illiterate. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I answer terrible. This, this is what happens from leaving school at 16 and being a self-taught writer. I'm still, I, I still, I said something the other day, I was going, I said, you know, the, the dot, dot, dots, they went, you mean ellipses? And I went, yeah, whatever they're called. Yeah, those. <laughs> that's actually, you've mentioned that before that you dropped up, but like, that's super impressive and, and admirable. Like you, you made a career out of writing you made a career out of something that's fundamental that's not easy to grasp. You put words together into novels like that. But I, I say the technical stuff. I, I, you know, when people talk about grammar and stuff, I'm like everything I've learned, I, I've learned from writing. So I might, I don't always know the right terms for things. Still I don't when, either. I, you know, I, I have, I've got the reaction. I know how it's, this, I know it fits together and how it should be. But when people talk about technical terms with writing and grammar, sometimes I'm just like. Yeah, okay. It just feels kind of right. So I got to go with it. <laughs> I, I get a, I throughout my whole life has ha have had a learned disability and I don't remember a lot through school. So I'm right there with you, but like, I'm serious. It, it's that's, that's really impressive. Uh, I, think, I, I think, I don't think you need, need to in a way. I think you can make it too technical. And I think, you know, writing is kind of a gut thing and, 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 you know, you, the technical stuff you can, I always say, you know, you've got loads of stuff, tools you can use to help with that. In editors, you can get a good editor for that. <laughs> and I wouldn't say, you know, my grammar is terrible and stuff. But there's still, there's still things I get wrong. But then there's other stuff that, you know, I, I, you know, I have a copy editor, 
um, and, and she's very good. She, she has she has an obsession with putting had into into my things. <laughs> it's something to do with past tenses and stuff. And I sometimes just go, no, it makes it too wordy. Just leave it out. People know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I think she hates me. But then this is the same person who once made me change converse to converses. And I took great pleasure in saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> the sneaker, They're right? They're always right. <laughs> You're talking about converse sneakers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it was, it was the plural. And she wants me to write converses. <laughs> Nikes. <laughs> <laughs> Erica, I really interrupted. No, nope, I was completely it. went off track. I mean, what we were talking about <laughs> to start with. No, that was perfect. Um, I was just talking about like the Easter eggs in your books. So, but you then, guys, yeah, like, but I said the new book is is yeah, it's definitely it's it is in in its own universe, and it, it necessarily has to be. Um, and it's probably the, the only book that even I'm, as I'm writing at the moment, I'm thinking. I could potentially do a sequel to this book, but probably not straight away. So, which is interesting. Again, it's fun. It's, it's, you know. Damn. I'm going to not say that that would spoil it. Um, but yeah, you could in a few different ways. Erica, I'm going to put you on the spot. I don't think you answered this. And if you did, forgive me for asking, but you clearly are a fan of CJ. What's your favorite book by her? Oh no! <laughs> oh, it's just like you excuse your favorite child. It's easy if you only got you one. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, I haven't yet read the Burning Girls. I really wanted to read that before we recorded, but didn't have enough time. Like you said, the Chalk Man holds a very special place because that was the first experience I yeah. had reading work. But I, I think my favorite is The Drift, just because you went oh, really dark, and I Yay. loved it. <laughs> the the Whistlers was so cool. It reminded me of parts of part one of The Stand, Stephen King's The Stand, where you're exploring this world and just seeing the aftermath of it, but then you also added like a kind of like a second-class citizen sort of deal of a crumbling world, which was really mm. neat. You didn't go too much into it. Obviously, you couldn't with what was happening, but um, boy, would I be interested to see if you explored that one day. It was I had a rough. lot of fun with it, and I wanted to just mm. do just enough. And it's, it's interesting. It, it, I'd, I'd like to revisit it at some point. And I say the book I'm writing now, I think I could sort of do a carry-on from. It'll be interesting. I mean, I, I you know, the... The Drift has been optioned by the same production company that have made The Burning Girls, um, which is, I think, coming to TV this year. Um, and it'd be interesting if they, if anything did happen with that, if they wanted to take the story further, because I have ideas about directions it could go in. And again, I wouldn't want it to be too typical, though. I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd you... want to some stereotypes on that as well. So it's 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 interesting. It's 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 interesting. To, it's interesting to keep things interesting. I think because. I think there are directions you can go in with this type of book, and I'd always like to hopefully defy expectations and not go in a predictable way. You didn't write it in a way that I've read before in the sense of, like, it's not... Tell me if I'm spoiling anything, but you're not doing it, like, 28 Days Later. It's not like George no. Romero's Walking Dead zombies, but no. you did it in a way that, like, they're the closest to where you can make a case they are still human. They're just not us. And yeah. that's where I think it's very unique. And that's why I would want to, as a reader, as someone that likes your books, that's why I would want to see where you took it. Or if it was like, if they, if, if a studio did take it and that was your sequel, like a television show, that'd be cool too. I don't know. I just, yeah. I would be really curious how you take that whistlers. Cause they, 
I work in an area where there's some creepy spots. Like I work at, um, in an industrial job, uh, wastewater treatment. And um, thank you for putting that in my head. I read another uh, UK author, um, Rich Hawken. I think he's indie. I don't know who know if you guys know, him, but he wrote some books about um, something similar to this and in, I don't like going alone after I read something like that in certain buildings. Pandas, <laughs> uh, do you have yes. uh, any final questions for CJ? I do. I have one. Um, I think this might be a nice way to kind of wrap up, I guess. So can you walk us through what your writing rituals are if you have any I yeah I, I'm not someone that kind of sticks really tightly to sort of rituals or anything I don't even like have a word count I know some authors are very disciplined on that front they have to have mm. certain things in place I think because when I started writing I very much used to like try and write whenever I could around whatever else I was doing um and, I, and Betty would have been a bit like sort of you know two at the time and so writing was like grabbed time when I could and I still, therefore, can pretty much write wherever. You know, okay. I don't have to have any sort of thing in place. And I think that's quite good as well. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I like to write in the morning. That's about the only thing. I'm much fresher. I've, I'd rather get up early and write than write late at night. And some authors mm -hmm. are the complete opposite. But I kind of find that I'm kind of done by about mid-afternoon. And I might edit a little bit in the evening, but I'm not at my creative best in, at, at night time. So... Being up sort of in decent time to get some writing done. I like to sort of start off in the, in the morning. Um, but I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I think perhaps maybe because I've just got older and more chilled about stuff. I know that life gets in the way. So, you know, I don't go, oh, my God, I must write two or three thousand words today. Because I know if I set myself up to do that, something will happen. You know, something will happen with Betty or, you know, I, my mum's older now, so I do I have, to, have to sort of help with her quite a lot. Something will interrupt my day that will just throw everything into disarray. And then if I've set myself up to do something and I fail, it's like I've let myself down. So best not to, best just to go, you know, if I get, you know, excellent done today, that's great. But I'm not mm. going to beat myself up if I don't, because, you know, I'll have good days writing and bad days writing. And one day I'll write 4,000 words. And another day I will sit there rewriting the same paragraph for four hours. So I think I, I, I'm, I know it's very much a job and you, you do have to treat it like that. You know, mm. it's, it's, it, is, it is a job and you, you have to sort of, you know, get those words on the page. But I'm relatively sort of flexible with how I do that. Mm. Um, you know, I don't have to have a certain way of sitting and doing stuff. You know, as long as I've got my laptop or you know i can get up and get to my desk and write then you know i'm good really I'm, I'm good to go um i don't think i think you can make you can make too much of it you know some people are like i must go and i must have i light a candle and go and sit and retreat and, and shut the door and all this normally i'm <laughs> you know it's it, you know it's sat in in scrubby dirty clothes you know? yeah <laughs> a cup of tea yeah. and biscuits and the dog's doing something and neil's making noise somewhere else and and if betty's home every every 15 minutes mommy, mommy, mommy. <laughs> so <laughs> that is you know that's life isn't it <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. absolutely so um just to add to that too um i find this one to be an interesting one as well do you ever write with music on 
I personally can't, but I know a lot of my author friends, they write to like movie soundtracks and they're making these playlists now to go with the book that they wrote because they're like, here, this is what I listened to when I was writing this to kind of like set the mood, which is cool and all, but I find that I, I need like as much peace and quiet as I can. So do you ever write with music or no? No. I love no. I okay. love music. Love music. I love playing, you know, music in my car when I'm driving around. We, yeah. we bought a record player recently started rebuying vinyl again which was brilliant nice. um, and we always put music on in the evening you know have some chill time we go downstairs and we stick some music on and betty's a big music fan as well she's a big rock chick already um big fan yeah. of Foo fighters frank carter frank nice. turner she's as, as well as some sort of you know but we, we, we're trying to get her into all the cool rock stuff so yeah mm. she loves music we love playing music while i'm writing though i find okay. it distracting because yeah. i and i listen to music when i run which i love Mm. but but i like to listen to the music mm. and i can't do that and write i find it too distracting to have this, the things happening at the same time same. yeah yeah it's funny isn't it I, I like to have quiet as much as i can i like mm. to have quiet <laughs> yeah same okay we're gonna dive into what are you currently reading uh cj what are you currently reading um I'm not reading anything at the moment because I'm writing. So, so I'm not certainly not reading any fiction at the moment because I find that I find it a bit distracting. Mm -hmm. So I, I sort of dip in and out of other stuff. So I'm reading a a, a, a moment a, a book of a sort of a satirist's book at the moment about um, the government in the UK. And there's there's a lot to do satire about. Well, it's actually probably on satire at the moment. But uh, so I'm reading that because I don't really like reading fiction when I'm writing a new book. Um, the last book I read that was fiction and I really enjoyed was a book called and I, I keep bringing this one up because I loved it so much it's called Sign Here by Claudia Lux um hmm. and if you guys know it, it's kind of it's I like books that don't fit into a particular genre um and this one is kind of like a mixture of horror and slight fantasy and mystery and thriller and it's about this it's about a deal break uh, a, a guy who does deals in hell and you know for people's souls essentially and if he gets the soul of one more family member of this quite prestigious family then he can earn himself a big promotion to get out of hell uh but it doesn't run to plan and it's kind of a mystery about this family about sort of the secrets this family have and about kind of how hell works and it's it, it's also very funny but really brutal and it's 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 a great book because it mixes so many genres. It reminds me very much of early Michael Marshall Smith, actually. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, my next book I've got lined up to read is The House in the Pines, which is Anna, I can see it over there. Anna Rays, is it Anna Rays it is, isn't it? The House in the Pines, which I think is quite a quite a creepy, dark sort of mystery. I mean, I get a lot of proofs as well, so I've got a sort of a pile of proofs that I I must get round to reading. And I always feel incredibly guilty because I'm not reading fast enough. Um, but but I am very, very slow these days. I used to just read so quickly. And now I'm much slower because I can only read certain things at certain times. Because as I say, when I'm writing, I don't like to read anything similar. Mm. They're sort of, you know, while I'm writing, genre-wise. So I tend to read nonfiction. Um, and then once I've finished a book then there's this lovely little gap in between the book and editing where I am starting to write a new book, but I'm not quite into it. So I kind of hopefully then have some gaps to kind of catch up on reading. But then we're doing some more traveling 
you know, again, we at the moment. So hopefully I'm going to catch up on some more reading then. But I, I, it's, I, yeah, I feel terribly guilty that I just don't read as much as I used to. I know, I know quite a few uh, writers actually don't read when they're deep into a book. Yeah, um, I think it's funny it can be distracting. It's easy to pick up on sure things from other books sometimes. It, I, I still like to keep that kind of clear head and then sort of have a bit of a binge when we go on holiday. Is there a book from someone that you maybe want to throw out there? I know you already did with Claudia. I'm just wondering if there's maybe one or two more. If not, that's fine. We'll move on. I'm, I'm always trying to think what books, because um, interesting, some books obviously are out in the UK and they're not um, out in the US. I read another really good book. I don't know if this one's going to be published in the US um, called End of Story by a writer called Louise Swanson. And horse publishes the name Louise Beach, but it's again, it's quite, um, it's a really interesting book. It's, it kind of reads like sort of dystopian fiction set in a future where fiction has been banned, essentially. Um, but there's kind of like this sort of this under, there are these people who read sort of bedtime stories to kids, which is kind of illegal, but they have kind of these <laughs> illegal phone lines. Oh, I love that. It's it it's, and this woman becomes involved with reading to this child but it's not all it seems and very quickly you realize there's something else going on um really it's a really really good book um and, and very interesting and i found it really affecting it's, it's nothing is quite what it seems in this book you don't really know what's the literally what's the real story and what isn't um and that was very very good i don't know if that's publishing in the us i think it publishes in the uk um in may this year um that was very very good indeed and i'm trying to think of anything else i've read recently that i could recommend that's coming out soon um, I said my reading's been quite sporadic, and and often the problem is that I read stuff that isn't out yet. <laughs> so I'm like, I've read this, and I don't know when it's out. It might be out next year. So um, I'm trying to think of a few more books that I've read. That I thoroughly recommend other books that I read recently. Um, well, not so recently. I'm a big fan um, of Stu Turton, who wrote Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle and The Devil in the Dark Water. I don't know whether. I know that one's been out in the US. Again, he writes books that are really kind of genre-defying in a way as well. Um, so I think basically The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle was basically Agatha Christie meets Quantum Leap. It was a, a really brilliant book. Mm. And The Devil in the Dark Water, it's kind of like almost a, a Sherlock Holmes take. It's sort of historical. It's partly mystery. It's, it, it's kind of got a Sherlock Holmes feel with this kind of... Um, investigator on this this ship it's yeah he writes really interesting stuff as well but i'm, I'm terrible i'm terrible for recommending stuff because i can never remember stuff that i've read um and then quite often my reading's quite haphazard so i've read something that's actually quite old and there's something that isn't out yet and that's fun that's really fun to do it's not it, you never get used to the same old um but also i don't i i read i, re, I, I say i like i like mashups i like things that don't fit a particular genre hmm. so i love i love scary books but i love mysteries i love stuff that's a bit dystopian i you know anything that isn't quite definable i find really interesting hmm. um candace what are you currently reading <laughs> what am i currently reading wow it was like eight different books i'm currently reading right now <laughs> uh, let me look at my list here it's an awful question i always find it's like you always go what, what am i currently reading oh my goodness what have i read what have i read There's recently what am so I many. 
I'm actually reading uh, a new one from Christy Aldridge, The Breaking of Mona Hill, which is really dark. Um, not quite about halfway through, but um, I'm enjoying it a lot. It'll be out, I think, in May. So, and I'm going to do a blurb on that one. So that is one of my ones I have to get through here in this next week or so. And then I'm also re reading another one called Hungers as Old as This Land by Zachary Rosenberg, which is a Jewish horror Western. Ooh. And I'm doing a blurb for that one as well. Um, he's relatively new, but he's amazing. So th those are my top two for right now. But yeah, I have a stack on my nightstand and I like yeah. eight different ones I'm working my way through. And yeah. So All right, you just make me feel lazy. I already said it to you. I'll say it publicly. You, I don't know how you get so much done. <laughs> her I writing, a her... tight schedule. Oh, man, I know you know something has to give. This is yeah. Efficient. I don't you are sleep. Efficient as hell. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't sleep. You are like much. one of the few people I don't feel bad to text early in the morning or late at night because you're up. <laughs> you're up. It's crazy. All yeah, right. I, I, I sleep from like one in the morning until like five, and then I'm up at five and I'm oh, writing, man. I'm editing, Ooh. I'm reading, I'm emailing, I'm scheduling, I'm reviewing. I run a website, I post reviews every week, I have a newsletter every other week. I do a lot of mentoring of newer authors and other authors, and I'm always like on the phone answering questions and just helping out. Patrick can attest of this like you can pretty much reach me at any time and i'm usually helping somebody and yeah i do a lot and i also have a day job so like i i keep a very <laughs> tight schedule and then oh, like every hour of my day is just like scheduled out and yeah i i don't sleep but you know it's fun <laughs> wow now i oh making me feel tired i mean i'm, I'm tired right? I, I have 10 30 at night i'm like 10 30 11 o'clock generally i'm in bed it's quite i'm late up already now yeah, we're definitely, yeah, we're definitely wrapping it up. We're <laughs> definitely wrapping it up. We're we're all tired. I don't know if Candace is. She doesn't seem like she's tired. No, but, um, no she just got hours. <laughs> <laughs> Erica, what are you currently reading? Oh my gosh, well, Candace made me yawn just talking about all that. I'm not currently reading anything because I just finished The Drift yesterday. Um, but the next... Oh gosh, my computer screen's in front of me turned off. I was like, did I just lose you guys? But we're good. Um, the next book I'm reading is Churn the Soil by Steve Stred. Really excited about this one. He sent me a signed copy. So nice. really antsy to get into that. Um, but then I had one other just kind of side recommendation. Because CJ, you keep saying you like stuff that doesn't fit into a certain mm -hmm. genre. I wouldn't say this one necessarily has a ton of horror, but there's definitely mystery. And this is... The single book that I have no idea what genre it is because it's all <laughs> over the place, but it's The Limpet Syndrome by Tony Moyle. Oh, interesting. Okay, I haven't oh. heard of that one. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's actually part of a trilogy. Um, but okay. this one, if you just read this one, it also stands really well on its own. Okay. But he sent that to me that. when I first started book blogging and gave me a chance to read and review his book. So holds a special place for me, but 
yeah, to this day, I have no idea what genre it is. And it's excellent. It's funny, okay. it's mysterious. It's, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, I just want to mention that because I've talked about it on Twitter. For all those that want to know what Candace writes, this is one book that's getting a lot of praise. It's called Bishop. It's by Candace Nolan. <laughs> that uh, looks that looks gory. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that looks real dark. Qu- yeah, Candace, I know you weren't looking for this but tell us real quick what is it about what is it about it is a unusual take on native american uh shapeshifter lore it is a bit of a survival story a mix of folklore winter creature feature mix um essentially a young woman and her mom go on an extreme adventure. They want to go and do this hike. It's up in up in Alaska, which is very near to where they live. And they go and they spend a week to go camping and a, a blizzard takes place unexpectedly because it is very near to spring but in Alaska the thaw is very unpredictable so you don't know so of course things don't go according to plan and they get uh, sort of stuck they don't come in when they're supposed to their uncle comes up he's very determined to try to help find them, rescue them. He's not the type that can just sit and wait. So he's like, I need to go, I need to go, I need to go. And some of the locals clue him in about a loner type of man who knows the woods inside and out. And they're like, this is the man you want if you want to have any hope of trying to find them, which is the name of the book, Bishop. And he eventually meets up with Chori and helps him along the way, but things unravel quickly and Bishop is hiding a secret of his own, as well as the Alaskan wilderness also is hiding something very old and very evil. So it turns into sort of an all out race against time, not only between what is in the woods, but the weather, the elements, Everything is just a real crush of, are they going to get there? Are they going to make it? And what is this man hiding? Yeah, so it's fast-paced, tense, yeah. (laughs) And I didn't plan on this, but I just just realized. They match. They match. They do. And they're similar. In strictly in the sense of like a winter horror or whatever. Definitely. Um, I am currently reading Victor Lavelle. I hate this. It's like a mirror thing. So I have to do the opposite. Um, Victor Laval's uh, Lone Women. It's about, uh, it takes place in 1915 and it's about homesteaders, these people that got this property, if they could like maintain it in Montana. And and, uh, it's not just white women, it's, it's, mainly women um uh it's black women china uh asian women um just a lot of stories that you typically don't hear about when you think of the old Mm -hmm. west i personally love that like i like westerns but like i like the stories you don't 
usually think yeah. of like yeah I, i'm not gonna shit all over cowboys and gunslingers but like we've seen <laughs> there's a lot of them yeah we've seen yeah yeah and um i i'm promising you guys i didn't mean to do this either but i'm going here because we're talking about <laughs> talking about this but i uh edited an anthology that's coming out probably this summer i i don't have a date yet but it's a weird western and i did the slush reading and the majority of the men all wrote the same shit there's an exception like wally wally young for those that know him he writes a hell of a tale he did a great job there was maybe one or two others but for the most part with the women they were original they were just well done and um I want to ever since then, especially ever since then, I want to read more um, takes on things that I normally wouldn't think. No, I don't know how to say this without sounding like a complete moron. I want to see things that normally women you don't think of writing. Obviously, mm. they do, but things that I'm not familiar with, like Westerns. Um, yeah. I'm just very fascinated by it, especially after that slush reading period. So, yeah, if it's in with Little Women, because it's just uh, nothing that I even knew was a thing. Like, Montana was established by all these women that were badasses. So, all right. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Victor's awesome. He's such a good yeah. writer. Yeah. I'm, all, I'm also reading The Changeling. Well, I'm listening to the audiobook of that. And he does the narration. And that's a tricky one for an author to do their Ease. own fiction. Yeah. Yeah. He does a really good job. Yeah, um, I, I I couldn't read my own stuff. I no. I'd be I'd be too nervous. Oh. <laughs> I I I, I think I, yeah, I think it's one of those things that a lot of authors think they can, but very few can do it well and convincingly. It's it's sure. a real talent to do an, you know an audio book. So yeah, hats off to anybody who can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, CJ, where can people follow you? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter quite a lot. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Um, I, I'm kind of fairly obvious to find at CJ Tudor or CJ Tudor author. Um, I think CJ Tudor official on Facebook, CJ Tudor author on Instagram, and just at CJ Tudor on Twitter. Um, I have yet to master TikTok. I don't think I ever will. <laughs> <laughs> I try and I like posted two videos. Like, this is all far too much hard work. <laughs> have people got the time to do this constantly? <laughs> Erica, where can people follow you? And the best bet for me is just to go to my blog. It's ericarobinreads.com. And I've got a bunch of links that you can choose your favorite social media platform. And this where can people follow you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, um, and my website, uncomfortablydark.com. Love that name. And you can follow me at prmcdonough.com. Uh, just Google if you don't know how to spell that last name. It's fine. Um, really, at uh, I think it's just Instagram and and yeah, Instagram and Twitter. But for the show, follow us on uh, Dead Headspace. Bunch of platforms there. Um, I am terrible at pitching the own sh- our, our own show on the show. So final thoughts, <laughs> CJ. <laughs> Any well, final uh, thoughts? Final thoughts on, on books, life, everything. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of aggressive, me and vague. Do you have any <laughs> final thoughts in general? <laughs> no, never, never any final thoughts. Um, oh God, this has been this has been really good. Actually, we've been covered such a lot of stuff. It's been really, really cool. So yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Um, 
Final thoughts. Oh, crumbs. There I go. Crumbs again, you see? I love that phrase so much. <laughs> That's my final thought. Crumbs. It's a new new phrase. <laughs> I love it. Um, it comes from watching too much Danger Mouse. Do you get Danger Mouse? I don't know what that is. <gasps> Look up Danger Mice. It's brilliant. <laughs> Danger Mice. Erica, final thoughts or crumb thoughts? <laughs> oh, crumb is such a funny phrase because, like, typically when I use the word crumb, it's either like a, a literal, like, oh, we're making a mess, or when I really want to insult somebody. But that's what goes back to what Pat was saying. Like, I can't insult someone and actually be mean. So I'm like, no, oh, they're too crumb. nice. They don't matter. Um, but yeah, my final thoughts, CJ, it was so nice to meet you. I could not believe it when Pat sent over the note that we were going to interview you. I it's been so, so nervous. Cool. It's so <laughs> yeah. cool. thank, you, thank you very, very much for having me on. I saw a bit of confusion as well over whether it was today or tomorrow. I yeah. Confused, I, I, very <laughs> Erica, I confused Erica myself because I constantly get dates wrong. So <laughs> Erica figured that out. I don't, it's, it ended up being, uh, zoom it reflected your normal time zone and i ah, never right. even thought of that i'm like she's in new york of course <laughs> i was here yeah i mean no way i'd be up at two o'clock no 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 I'm we would never do that that's so ooh, i would not ask that because i want to do that myself that's too early <laughs> candace any final thoughts thoughts uh other than I completely loved the drift, the oh, entire novel was just ex excellent. Thank um, you so much. And for Patrick and Erica and our missing co-host, Brennan, thank you for <laughs> yeah. inviting me on as a guest host. Absolutely. I love it. So, yeah, well, it's been fun. Since Brennan's not here, we have to have CJ back on sometime. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll know, ask people questions instead. That'd be fun. You know, I'm, I'm not blowing smoke up your honey, but like I really did. You were an author that I really did want to get on for a while. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I uh, I was like, okay, this is this is the universe telling me that now's the time when when we heard from uh from your rap. I'm like, okay, yeah, that, now's a good time. <laughs> it's been really good. It's been good fun. It's been a blast, and um, I'm really going to use Ochrums. That's such. I love that saying. Um, you strange looks. Yeah, what is he saying? Yeah, I'm in the states, but uh, whatever. But it's been a pleasure, and um, I really do hope people pick up the drift because it's it's got it's a contemporary Christie. Yay! <laughs> I know people don't like being compared to other authors, but like, obviously, it's your own unique style. But there's just such such cool like a tribute to like the grandmother of, of, uh, of thrillers. And oh, no, I'll, I'll take that. And, and, you know, it's always a good comparison. I'll always take it. <laughs> <laughs> um, next episode is 186 with Victor Laval. We're going to cover Lone Women, his upcoming book that comes out March 21st, 2023. And yeah, that's all I got for now. Everybody have made choices in podcasting. Thank you for picking us. Uh,